0: Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. It's time for The Rant, a segment where we talk about anything and everything in sports. Uh, send us a text if you'd like to share your thoughts with the topics we'll be talking about today. The number to text us is at nine six three one one nine three eight. And joining me on the show today are Mark Lim, former sports journalist, and James Walton, sports business lead at Deloitte Southeast Asia. Gentlemen, welcome.
1: Hey, good morning. Hi, guys.
0: Good to get, have you guys back uh, on the show, uh, Mark. It was your birthday last week. I want to say happy belated birthday. How's the staycation mm-hmm. like?
2: Thank you, thank you. Uh, it was good. Uh, good results for Everton, and uh, I think the better birthday present <laughs> yes. was uh, this morning. I think Leicester winning was a was a win for humanity. I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You know, that's, that's a that's a great start to our conversation today. I want to look at the FA Cup finals that happened last night. Uh, like Mark said, Leicester City beat Chelsea 1-0, courtesy of a goal from Yuri Tillemans in the 63rd minute. Uh, let's not forget as well, in 2016, they shocked the world by winning the Premier League title and now the FA Cup title. In the 137-year history, Leicester has never previously won the FA Cup. Um James, I'll come to you first on this massive, massive achievement, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, we we often talk about the the big six and and the and the, the domination of of the league and such. But this is you know two seasons in a row now. Leicester have put themselves in the mix. They're still fighting for a Champions League place, and now they've got the first FA Cup in the history of their of their club. I mean, they won a couple of uh, league cups. Many people will remember in the Martin O'Neill days and such. But this is such an accomplishment, and and the best thing for me was uh, at the end of the match seeing the way that the players celebrated with the fans. Great to see fans back in the stadium and also with the owners. Um, And and it was nice to see after the whole ESL debacle a a club where the the players, the the management, the owners, the fans are all so connected and and really in it together. So really part two of the fairy tale is a great story.
0: Hmm, indeed. You know, just picking up from where James left off, in times where owners of football clubs are under, undercoming a serious scrutiny, there was a scene, if you didn't watch the match, uh, just right after that, uh, Kasper Schmeichel invited the Leicester City chairman onto the pitch to lift the trophy with players. Uh, Mark, I don't think so many players would be doing that if it was any, any other club, right?
2: Exactly. I mean, that's what I really meant when I said, uh, you know, a win for humanity, because it's, it's, it reminds me of that Jerry Maguire... Uh, scene, you know, where uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. was hugging uh, Tom Cruise that character, and then there was this other athlete who spoke to another agent, and and went, why don't we have that kind of relationship? Because it's a relationship money can't mm. buy, you know. Uh, it's 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 uh, you 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 imagine your glazes but to to, to be there, I mean, they, you know all, all, uh, you know uh, 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 Mr. Moneybags at Chelsea. Uh, Abramovich, you know, I, I don't think they will even be invited onto the pitch by the players. So it's it's mm. it's heartwarming to see that kind of relationship that the club has. You know that uh, they, they back their managers, the, the, the fans. They back their fans. The fans believe in the club and the and the direction that it's heading, and uh, it, it's really wonderful. And obviously, there's that backstory to it because uh, uh, Kun Vichai which is the the former owner, died in a helicopter car crash. So his son was there. Uh, top was was done. Was there on the field honouring his death. uh Legacy as well as uh, you know having continuing that close relationship with the club, the, the fans and and the the, the manager as well. Uh, so it was really amazing to see, and I think that uh, apart from obviously the win, I think that was one of the highlights for me.
0: Mm, you know, talking about one person that uh, former Leicester guy that wasn't really, um, I suppose, celebrated was Ben Chilwell because uh, the one-time Leicester <laughs> fullback. Who actually Chelsea brought on in the uh, sixty-seven minute as a sub? Uh, the fans, the Leicester City fans, and you know there were quite a few in that twenty-one thousand crowd. They jeered every of his touch, James. And uh, to be fair, he could have almost given them the the, the trophy. He you know with a header, and Cashbrush Michael pulled off a wonderful save there. Yeah, it,
1: it, I, I'm not sure how how um, how sincere the booing really was. To be honest, I think yes, mm. he. He, he was getting booed, but it wasn't. I don't think there was any hatred in it. I think it was one of one of those situations where you just booed a guy because he used to play play for your team, rather than <laughs> a, you know this guy forced his way out of our club kind of booing. There's subtle distinctions for English football fans, all the way up to to the top level. Is you forced your way out of a club to go to our rival club, which is reserved mm. for Soul Campbell and, and certain others. Um, but I mean, yeah, Chilwell, he. I mean, the first save he produced out of of Kasper Schmeichel was was reminiscent of Gordon Banks and and Pele, you know, really getting down to that post. And and then the second one, as you say, it looked like he had forced a, an equaliser with a with a, a almost comedic own goal, but it wasn't to be. But I mean, hats off to Kasper Schmeichel. I mean, he's he's 34 years old now. This is a guy. It's always baffled me how no other so-called big teams have come in and tried to. To take him when you look at a team like Chelsea you've had all those problems over the years with with Kepa and and and, and other goalkeepers and and he was just absolutely outstanding yesterday and 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 deserved a trophy for himself alone
0: mm. you know what gentlemen there are other APL matches that happened last night as well so let's have a look at that uh, let's start with Leeds uh, they beat Burnley four nil and it was a good game of football and good tempo to the game as well. Um, this result really won't affect Burnley because they are safe this season. Mark, what did you make of that game?
2: I, mean, I think Leeds are just really showing their quality now, and you know, and. and and pulling, uh, putting together quite a good, impressive run of, of form. Uh, and actually, if, if things do go their way, with two matches to go, I think they they might be even in in the shout for a for a Europa League place. If, if uh, you know, if the, the teams above them, which includes our beloved Everton, uh, fall, mm. fall fall to the crack. So, uh, really good for a really good good performance, and uh, you know, and the team's really doing well. But like, like I think we, we've raised many times before uh, that this. The Leeds team has quite a few key players that are, that are on loan, so the question is whether or not they can then convert them uh, to a full-time contract and whether or not there can be that continuity for next season. But, uh, I mean, they've surpassed all expectations, I, I feel,
0: Leeds; so they've really done well and uh, a really good, strong end to the season. Mm. James, do you think they'll end up being a one-season wonder next, next the upcoming season?
1: But there's always there's always one team that is a one season wonder right so i, mm. I, I think they they look better than that they don't look as reliant on such a, a small group of players as Sheffield United were i think we would have more confidence in Bielsa as a manager honestly um at at the top flight than than Chris Wilder you have players that that although they may be relatively new to the premier league people like Bamford and Rafinha and people like that you know have have always deserved to be in and around that They've definitely got some gaps to fill, but it, it would be absolutely no shock whatsoever if they finished in the top 10 or 11 again next season. And I believe the club will invest, which is, which is a big difference than, than Sheffield United last season, who really didn't do a lot in the transfer window other than you know, the unproven uh, Brewster from, from Liverpool. So as long as they're willing to, to continue to invest and go for three or four more players in the summer to bolster the squad and, as Mark said, to replace some of these loans... This team with this manager should be in the Premier League for as long as they want to be.
0: Mm. Southampton they beat uh, Fulham three-one at home. No real shock there as well. Decent performance by the Saints. Fulham now preparing for life in the Championship. Any chance they will bounce back now, Mark?
2: I, I, I mean, it'll be tough because whenever you you you've, you know you you've, you go down, uh, you know, you get that whole situation where some of your top players leave and. Uh, some of the loan signings as well uh, just 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 go away. So uh, yeah, you know they they it'll be it'll be tough for them. I mean initially I thought they could pull off the uh, the great escape because uh, uh, you know they, they were playing some really good football. But uh, the results just couldn't come. They just couldn't put a, a string together. Wins, and uh, I think they, they haven't had a win in, in, in what I think is at least five, six, six matches now. And that's that's basically relegation form for you. So it's a pity to, to see uh, Scott Parker and his team go down. But uh, um, and I think, uh, to be honest, it, it, it doesn't look easy. In the, in the, I mean, I don't think this this team is uh, is, is has enough guile and in, enough uh, solidity in depth to to make a quick bounce back unless they make some real key signings.
0: Mm, there seems to be some trouble at Fulham with uh, Scott Parker, even though he's got a contract. Also, murmurs that uh, he is considered for the Spurs role, James. But uh, the other game that happened, Brighton against uh, West Ham, that finished 1 1. Uh, the less we talk about it, the better. And uh, time for a break. When we come back, uh, we continue this conversation. Welcome back, you're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant and joining me in the show are Mark Lim and James Walton. If you've been listening to us and you want to share your thoughts with us, send us a text at 963-11938. Gentlemen, let's move from the English Premier League to the Singapore Premier League. Two matches were played last night. Despite the restrictions in Singapore with the COVID-19 measures, the SPL will continue for another week until it takes a break for the international matches. I want to start by looking at Tampanese Rovers against Ballastia. Five goals in the first half. Halftime score was 4-1 to Tampanese Rovers. Uh, good day for Boris Kipotovich and Mark Ryan Tan, the son of former Singapore international Stephen Tan. Um, I want to talk about uh, Ryan's performance. He's five foot four and he scored two headers yesterday. That was really amazing. Balestier really has to uh, question the way they defended. Uh, I'll come to you first, James, on this one. Did you get a chance to watch this game?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but I watched the highlights, and like you say, just um, <laughs> there's going to be some extra drills on the training <laughs> pitch this week after <laughs> after that one. I mean, as a Spurs fan, it reminds me of when the uh, five foot three Alan Wright scored a header for Aston Villa against us, and you really sat there <laughs> yeah. and, and wondered what is what has the club come to? But um, let, let's take nothing away. I mean, this, this kid is a is a talent, and, and it does make me laugh sometimes when you see the pictures. Of him celebrating with the teammates, and you think, oh, is it, they, they let that kid in there with the rest of the team. But what a talent!
0: <laughs> exactly,
1: he, he 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 definitely has the, the willpower and the guts that he he could go a long way. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan Sanizal, he's got a nice header towards the end of the match. Tampines, they look very comfortable in the end, uh, didn't they, uh, Mark?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, you know, is a, it's a it's a, a good return to form, and uh, you know normal service resume. I mean, Tampines should be should be stringing these kind of results rather than uh, struggling for a few matches. Uh, and uh, like you, I mean, like we've spoken about. I mean, I think it's 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 a good all-round performance. Uh, the, the 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 senior players delivered, and as well as uh, you know, and Mark, which is, is uh, I mean, I, again, I go back to the two headers. Which is, it was just amazing. And uh, I don't even know Stephen whether Stephen Scott scored that many headers in a in a game. I don't know whether you yeah, you know, I can't Scott, remember. But, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, you, you, you know in, he, he was so good that he you know the, the commentator Patrick Kinghorn went on to say uh, his initials were MRT you know the MRT train yeah you know you think about it uh, that was quite uh, creative I must say Singapore fan particularly a Ballester from um, Kalsa fan he reached out to me via Instagram and asked me how he and a group of friends can take over Ballester Khalsa. he said he's been a fan and been questioning the ambition of the club Uh, you know what I might actually post that up on my Instagram later you know fans are starting to turn their back on local football because the club they're just playing to participate can we afford to turn away fans like that James?
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've talked about it several times in recent weeks that it's pretty clear that the SPL it, it has has a an, an A and a B league within it. That there are four teams that have invested in their squads um, and and invested in their coaches and and are, are up there challenging. And then there's four teams, which is led by Balestier, but also you know Geylang, Tanjong Paga, and and obviously the Young Lions, who really are there just to make up. The numbers—it's like the good old days growing up of watching what was the WWF, and there's the there's the wrestlers that can win the title, and then there's the wrestlers <laughs> that are there to, to give a little upset every now and then, but but mostly to get beaten up, <laughs> you know, and fill in the card. And it's, it's unfortunate, and it does lead to questions. And as as Singapore football thinks about privatization, um, you know, will that mean that Geylang and, and Balestier in particular get get you know, privatize, get owners that are willing to invest and, and compete because it's not healthy for, for football to have this. And, and what the experience of the past has shown is that eventually these teams will either uh, disappear or get merged into another team um, or drop down and not, and not come back up. Uh, and it's important that we have at least six, seven competitive teams in, in that Premier League who, who at least are fighting to get into the uh, continental places.
0: Mm. Mark, what do you make of fan-owned SPL clubs?
2: Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a nice uh, thought. And I, I think maybe at, at the most, I would give it uh, at, at a level where you, you own a share of the club. But I think it might be tough in mm. terms of, uh, you, you know, if if, if our so-called uh, football administrators who I wouldn't say... Uh, are world class or or, or very experienced but even if they have uh, you know a a bunch of experience from say managing from from the Premier League uh, from the old S League days and all that uh, if they can't really run it I think it would be tough for a fan who's not exposed to any sort of football administration to, to run it as well so I think uh, in terms of engaging fans in terms of having a, a, a shareholders meeting or you know or, or having a town hall session where fans can actually give their input and, and, and uh, you know suggest maybe even suggest ways in which for the club to improve or to reach out to the community I think that's Solely and I think that definitely has to happen. But uh, where a group of fans, if they are if they are just everyday Joes, and uh, you know, just taking over the club without any expertise or any any form of uh, a real business model or business plan, I think that could be could be dangerous. But uh, yeah, so mm. I think. But I, I'm not you know, totally against the fact that the fact of fans being more involved in the club.
0: You know, nothing is more dangerous than a management that has a lack of ambition, Mark, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Albrecht took on Young Lions, and despite being clear favourites, uh, the match finished 2-1 to Albrecht's nikki Malvin Singh. Uh, he's got the uh, um, opening goal in the third minute. Joel Chu, who really played... Yeah, I must say, he was an outstanding player for the Young Lions. He's equalised in the 20th minute, but they couldn't hang on to the draw. Fumiya Suzuki, who scored um, right after half-time to give the home team all three points. Um, James, Lion, Young Lion playing, and they played well in, in patches, but just couldn't, you know, go the extra mile. Yeah, uh, again, it's
1: another one of those topics we, we we talk about almost every week, right? It's a Young Lions team that that is out there. They're trying to play football. They're They're not sitting back and, and trying to defend and avoid getting getting battered as as some young teams in their situation might they just they're just perhaps lacking a little bit that, that that game management that ability to see through the full 90 minutes to stay switched on for the entire time but this this was a, a good performance i mean alberex weren't helped by uh, suboy uh, going off injured and and we wait to see mm. what the what that injury Turns out to be. I haven't heard anything yet, but it seemed to be a knee injury. Um, and but you know they're putting incredible performances, uh, and, and all credit to the players, all credit to the coach. They're not making it easy for anyone in, in spite of their in spite of their lowly position. And, and I think that is a good experience for these players, and, and hopefully it will serve them well in the future.
0: Mm. On that note, let's go for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is the rant, and joining me on the show today are Mark Lim and James Walton, gentlemen. I'd like to talk about an incident that happened in the match between Manchester United and Liverpool last week. After the match, Jürgen Klopp went over to Sadio Mane to shake his hand, but Sane, he, Mane rather, <laughs> he refused and walked away. Uh, the Senegalese obviously wasn't happy with his manager only coming on as a 74th minute substitute in the win over Manchester United at Old Trafford. You know, it's very strange because many Liverpool fans view Jurgen Klopp as something of a cross between a father figure and a good mate. This season, however, it's been very different. Um, James, what did you make of this incident?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult when you're a team that had been on such a, a fantastic run and, and, and had their Champions League success and then their Premier League success. And then this season has been has been a battle for them with the various injuries and the other things going on. And it's difficult for a manager to keep that that feel-good feeling in that situation. And sometimes it even helps, perhaps, to to get a little bit more of an adversarial um, feeling going in the camp, a feeling that everyone is against you and what can you do about it. But this situation, there's been a little bit of friction all season. There's been a lot of talk amongst the fans about whether Sadio Mane and and Mo Salah really get along and whether Mo Salah passes to, to Mane. But to his credit, Klopp has always said that, you know, we're playing for each other. It's it's tense, but we're doing it. And he himself came out and said that this situation against Man United was his own fault. He said that he made the decision to drop Mane for Jota. And unfortunately, he he didn't get a time to talk to Mane to explain his decision. Um, And and that's why Mane felt uh, affronted by the whole thing. But I think it's difficult when you're a player... When your team has just won 4-2 at Old Trafford the way they had and played mm. the way they had and, and you've come off the bench to, to be angry and behaving like that makes you look a little bit childish, <laughs> to be, to be honest. Um, and it will be interesting to see, um, next season, if all the players are still at the club, whether the, the atmosphere picks up and changes again or whether that little bit of friction between Mane and Salah is still there.
0: Mm, that's a great segue to my next question to you, Mark, because Jürgen Klopp, he handled the question in the press conference very well. I must say that, uh, you know, saying that as a player, he was like that too. Do you think it's time that they started looking for someone uh, to sell, you know, money to? Oh, yeah. What, what do you think? Sadio money going to Real Madrid or, uh, or, you know, another team like that?
2: I mean, uh, you know, there's, it's been long documented that, uh, that, that a lot of players don't get along. I mean, you look at uh, the, the best example is Teddy Sheringham and Andy I mean, they both couldn't stand each other, but they still went on to win titles together. So, I think so. It, 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 it's easier when you're winning, and uh, you know, you you look past that, that whatever personal differences that you have, especially since the team is winning anyway. But when the results don't go their way and I think that's when these cracks seem to appear bigger and also people make, make a bigger deal out of it. So in a sense, it, I mean, I think money is still a a, 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 a a good talent, attached to petulant. I mean, as as what James mentioned as well. You know, you, you basically he's, he's a grown man, but he still behaves like a child when he gets off to field like that. But uh, but I feel it is. I think Liverpool could still uh, get the best out of him. Uh, you know, in this day and age where transfer fees, I don't think because of the pandemic aren't going to be huge anyway, unless they can get in, mm. get, get him out, ship him out for a huge amount of money. Uh, I, I think he's still a, a world beater, a world quality player. And then I think if they get their first eleven back next next season with, when Dyke and Henderson and all that. Uh, I think they will still. I'll be surprised if they don't uh, become a, a, con- a contender straight away again. Uh, but going back to what you said about about Klopp managing it, I think I mean he's he's really a, a, a class act when it comes to managing the press and uh, and, and you know and, and and squashing things down. Unlike Mourinho, who does it in his in his own way uh, and deflecting it by creating more controversy. But Klopp just basically <laughs> silences you up, and uh, and then says that you know basically I'll be sad for you if your boss, in know, in, intends to pick on one particular example where you don't show him respect uh, as opposed to them the many other times. So uh, I think in that sense, Klopp really just uh, killed it, killed the question and uh, deflected it to to, uh, to to I mean basically just squashed it, and I think he did well there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, imagine the reporter, <laughs> he didn't know where to hide his face. But uh, James, Mane recently admitted that he's been going through the toughest time of his career, even admitting that he underwent tests to try and see what was wrong uh, in his worst season as a professional. From your point of view, what, what's what been going wrong for, for you as a football observer?
1: I sometimes look at a player like, like Mane and, and, and there are several other players, you know, in recent years, uh, around the Premier League, like Yannick Bolasie that that you guys had at Everton as well, and players mm. like that, as someone that when the team pl- is playing well, the player will play well. That they really they plug into the into the rhythm of the team and they feed off that. And that's why Mane, as, as good as he was at Southampton, when he came to Liverpool, he he was raised to another level. Um, and and I think it's the kind of player that feeds off the confidence, that feeds off the space that other players playing well gives that that player um and and so i think in part as i say his his issues this season may be to do with the issues the whole team is having because they've struggled to find any attacking rhythm they've had a lot of issues he's got pressure on his place this season which he didn't have the last couple of years with with jota coming in before that really you know that front three if they were fit they were not going to get dropped but it is it is a little bit surprising to me. He was possibly the best player in the Premier League um, last season um, mm. for long spells, um, and it will be again interesting to see whether this summer. Firstly, does he does he stick around? I think they would be foolish to to sell him because they would need to replace him beyond so There isn't a lot of of other backup there to fill in the gap. Uh, but if he does stay, whether when the team. Finds its rhythm and they get their injured players back and they and they start a season fresh. Whether or not he's uh, whether or not he's ready to go again, but to me, I, I would keep him. Um, and I'm sure that he will come good against them.
0: Mm. Uh, Mark, many pundits chimed in on this subject and Graham Sooners said there was a huge lack of respect uh, on the front of uh, money to Jurgen Klopp. Roy Keane, on the other hand, he said he didn't expect managers to hug him after the game. Uh, even <laughs> after winning title, for him, it seems a little strange that uh, someone ran onto the, or the manager ran onto the pitch and gave him a high-five. He said, I'm not doing my job. Where do you stand on this? Because it's really interesting to see Graham Sooners and Roy Keane chime in and, and give a complete different view of uh, the whole incident.
2: Yeah. And uh, and irony, Sooners was no angel as well. So so yeah, I'll be, exactly. I'll be, yeah, in his in his day and age, when he's being yanked off, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether he reacted that way. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of agree, with Roy, Roy Keane, and I and I don't I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but uh, but yeah, you know, in mm. sense it, it's it's an emotional game, and you come off, and there's all these emotions. as what uh, Kloppman uh, alluded to in his press conference as well. That there's all these emotions running high, you know. You 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 go in and you and when you come out, you can't expect to to just go down back to love immediately. And you have all the adrenaline in you, and and uh, you know you. I think you can be forgiven once in a while, unless it's a complete bust-up and you end up punching the coach. Uh, you know, it was just react. You know, just just pulling your hand away from a from a handshake. I mean, I think it's forgivable as long as it's it's. It ends there and, uh, you know, the, the relationship goes back to normal in the dressing room. Uh, for this one particular uh, rush of blood to the head, I, I mean, I think it can be forgivable.
0: Mm, um, James, just before we go for the break, I want a quick uh, uh, take on your personal view on this because you are a, you are a leader. How would you have managed this?
1: I mean, I think in in the heat of the moment, sometimes you you've got to give people the, the the space and let them process things. But equally, if he had walked up and not made any attempt, if he is going to shake the hands and high five all the other players, if he doesn't shake hands or high five Manny, then then that has repercussions as well. I, I think he's done a very good job in this by diffusing this and by pointing the blame mm. away from the player and taking that responsibility himself. And that and that's something I'm a big a, a big fan of. So. In hindsight, could he have done things better before the match? Yes, but um, since then, I think Klopp has done everything right and and if anyone needs to look at themselves a little bit here, it's it's probably Sadio Mane.
0: Mm. Time for a break. When we come back, we continue this conversation. (music) Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. This is The Rant and joining me on the show are Mark Lim, former sports journalist and James Walton, sports business lead at Deloitte Southeast Asia. Um, let's talk about a topic that's been trending in the world of sports. The venue for the Champions League finals have been moved from Istanbul to Portugal. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, almost after, after a week Um, After Turkey was placed on the red list for travel, UEFA now has moved the venue to the Champions League final to Portugal. Uh, Still a bit of a a hurdle for Portugal because they uh, need to uh, get a couple of things um, sorted out in terms of allowing English fans uh, to come into the city. Uh, James, I'll come to you first on this one. Good move, you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was really the only viable option. When we when we talked it through last week, listeners will remember that we said there's kind of two separate issues here. One is that, that players would have to do 14 days quarantine on, on returning to the UK if it was held in Turkey, and that would cause mm-hmm. issues ahead of the European Championships. But the, the other issue with moving it to England, potentially, was that for a lot of the UEFA dignitaries and sponsors and partners and those people who would be invited to the final would be coming from countries that for which the UK has, has quarantine requirements, which would mean they would have to come in 14 days before the, the final. And and so there was really no way that it could be held in the UK uh, in, in UEFA's mind unless the English government was British government was willing to make concessions, which they just simply weren't willing to do. So this is kind of a um, nice compromise scenario here. Portugal, which means that all the UEFA dignitaries and such can get in and out, not a problem. For the supporters, it's it's tough. I mean, on the one hand, they're going to have to spend money um, to travel, um, which is not the easiest thing in in the current economic uh, climate in in the UK at the moment. But the way it's being set up is is they're calling it basically a a 24-hour round-trip bubble where the supporters will Mm. literally, under an agreement probably managed by the clubs, will be flown in, they'll be tested, they'll be kept together in a bubble, they'll be moved to and from the stadium and back to the airport they will literally, they will not step foot outside of that bubble. So there's no staying overnight. There's no hotel rooms involved. There's no shopping. There's no bar crawls. Uh, They will literally fly in, land at the airport, go to the stadium, go from the stadium back to the airport and and out again. Um, But maybe, you know, for the chance to, it basically sounds like what I did when I went to Madrid um, to see Spurs lose to Liverpool um, over, (laughs) over over a very, very short weekend. So, Hopefully for the fans, at least for half
0: of the fans, it'll end up being worthwhile. Yeah, Mark, I think there's about six thousand fans that uh, will be traveling from uh, England, if I'm not wrong. It uh, seems to be what is going to be the new norm. Like James has just mentioned, no pub crawl, no hotels. You get in and get out. Um, will it still be a good experience?
2: I mean, for the for the typical English fans, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the whole pub crawl and the whole. Uh, Standing in the in the in the city plaza and making fun of your opponents, <laughs> I think that's that's the experience, right? The the, the watching the 90 minutes of football and whatever 20 minute trophy presentation, that's just the bonus. So, uh, I think it'll be a a really watered down experience, which is why I feel that it. I mean, I don't know. It, it, to me, it, it, just made, it would make more common sense. I know there's a headline that says U, UEFA urge to use common sense and not move it to England. To me, it, it despite common sense. They should have just done it in England. I mean, all these dignitaries and, and VIPs of UEFA, they're rich enough to, to, to travel and be quarantined anyway. And in, in, even if they have to miss it, I mean, what, what's the big deal? That, you know, for these fans, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them to 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 be there. It's an all-English final anyway, uh, so it makes mm. sense to just keep it all in, in one country and uh, and and you know and, and and not risk public health issues. And now you have a bunch of uh, you know, six thousand my new fans coming down to to, to Portugal and. And uh, hopefully nothing happens. But what? What if something? You know? What if uh, uh, it becomes a super spreader? So, I think there's all these instances that I that, that, that I'm sure the UAF and all that took into play uh, to play, and, and they, finally they came up with the decision. But I, I personally don't agree with it. And, uh, and, and yeah, as as what James alluded to to a 24-hour bubble, I mean that's it's just strange. I and mean, we might as well just be watching it at home. I feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me correct myself. There is six thousand per team. Yeah, so 6,000 fans uh, from each team. So that's about 12,000 people that will be in this bubble going back and forth between Portugal and England. Um, Moving away from the UEFA Champions League, I'd like to come back home, closer to home, and talk about, uh, I would say it's something that has been bubbling in the background. Not not a lot of people know. We hear from reliable sources that a former Brazilian international and Grêmio coach Renato Gaucho could be named as the head coach of Lion City Sailors. Our contacts in the world of football have been inquiring about uh, the Singapore League. James, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, you probably, between the both of us, we we were talking about this off-air during the week. Uh, you want to tell us where this actually came from?
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting one because it, it came via some, some Brazilian uh, connection who said that this is linked on uh, and, and, and they've got it from some, some quite reliable sources that there's at least been some kind of... Contact, whether that is agent contact or or whether there's been talks, um, and, and that it is at least worth following, was was the feedback that I got. And and what was interesting was originally it was just oh he's going to to Singapore, and the person that related to me um, doesn't know much about Singapore football and, and was and was talking about uh, Tampines and other teams, which just sounded very <laughs> wrong. Um, but a bit more digging is suggesting that this may have some connections to. Lion City Sailors and, and, and the fact that Sea, obviously, and, and Shopee is, is going strong into the Brazilian market and, and trying to build their, their e-commerce empire in Latin America. Uh, and, and so a, a lot of the information here kind of, kind of checks out in terms of the, the logic and the current situation. Obviously, Renato Galcho has been out of a job um, for a couple of months. He's never managed outside Brazil. Um, and he has a history as a journeyman. He Even as a player and as a manager, he moves pretty much every single year. Uh, but this is a coach who won the, uh, the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American Champions League, um, just a couple of years ago with, with Grameo. So he's a coach with a good reputation. Like I say, is, is there more to it than just agent, uh, agents trying to put people's name in the mix? I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, but it makes a lot of sense. You can you can see that how strategic they are in trying to do that, right? Uh, uh, Mark, he's definitely a big name. Like James said, he won the Copa Libertadores, and he was also named the manager of the tournament in 2017. Is he the best choice uh, given where they are at the moment? You think?
2: uh i mean again given the fact that he's never managed in asia before and he's still an unknown uh, entity you know if you if you, you go you google his name uh, most of us, almost entire all of his uh, articles are are in portuguese so uh, so obviously he hasn't really uh, made the news outside of brazil uh but as you mentioned you know he's he's, uh, he's he comes with an impressive resume you know having managed uh, some of the top teams in, in in brazil and having played for them as well so I think, uh, in terms of the pedigree, he's probably a good coach, and it's it's uh, something that Lion City Sailors could could use. But the fact that he hasn't managed in Asia uh, throws a big question mark on on um, the culture of football here and uh, and the way football is, is run here, which is you know really quite different, and it, it can be a culture shock for someone who's who's not exposed to to football in this region. But um, <laughs> It's what you guys were mentioning earlier. You know, in terms of a bigger picture, it does seem uh, it does make sense for them to, to go bigger into Brazil. Uh, you know, C obviously um, is is a big game distributor as well as a, a, a developer, and Free Fire, their their esports game, is huge in Brazil. So that could be all the different uh, underlying mechanisms in play uh, into why. Brazil mm. is a strategic location for them. Uh, so, but I mean, if if it really is, it, it's a it's a good quality signing and, and definitely um, a statement to to seize ambitions and uh, and having signed again, uh, you know, a, a Brazilian for almost $3 dollars. $3 so I think it's it's in in that way, yes, they hit in the right direction. Just unsure about his uh, his expertise in, in, in Asia.
0: James, it's amazing, isn't it? We earlier talked about a club that lacks ambition, and now we got this club that's uh, full of ambition. <laughs> that they wants to uh, bring on top names, and you know they're looking at the business side of things. You, you know, do, I want to ask you this, right? Because uh, not to beat the dead horse, uh, but this can be really good for the Singapore Premier League, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it could definitely help in terms of visibility and exposure, in terms of uh, attracting players, in terms of bringing in. Um, sponsors and getting more people watching. I mean, um, it, it, it it definitely could help. And and don't don't forget that we were talking on here recently that as as football association looks at gold 2034 and thinks about potentially um, bringing in some foreign talent into the SPL um, and and looking to to naturalise that talent in the years to come. Brazil could be one of those markets where there is a lot of young talent not expensive, it could be brought in and it would uh, very possibly um, naturalize and become Singapore citizens just because of the, the standard of football in Brazil means it's, it's unlikely that they would become a, a Brazilian international down the line. So there's a lot of reasons why this could be very good for, for Singapore football, yeah.
0: Hmm. Uh, let's not forget as well, Vincent Subramaniam, the former national coach, he's also back from Bhutan, so he could be another option for Sailors if they want someone uh, with a little bit more, fam- um, I would say, familiar with the, the local football scene. Uh, Mark, do you think just before we, we go, do you think that's a good choice, Vincent Subramaniam, for Sailors?
2: I think, given the fact that uh, he's 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 really been, uh, uh, you know, at the, on 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 the instructional side for most of his uh, maybe last decade or so, I think. Uh, maybe a director of coaching and having guide guiding this mm. new coach, if it's Ronaldo or somebody else, as a, as it could be a better role in terms of just setting up the academy and making sure things run properly, and then having a, a, a guiding year to to the head coach. I think that would be an ideal situation for for someone of Vincent's experience. Uh, but for a head coach, mm. I think they probably need someone a bit more uh, charismatic. Not to say that Vincent isn't, but it's probably someone to, to, to <laughs> lie to the sponsors and uh, you know, and, and to get the best out of uh, the, the ambitions of uh, a young uh, uh, you know uh, owner like Forest Lee, and, and 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 to live on that kind of uh, um, similar enthusiasm and similar direction. I think probably a younger, more mm. bigger name would be a better choice.
0: Mm. All right, gentlemen, on that note, uh, let's call it a day on this segment here. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend and I'll speak to you soon. Right. Take care, guys. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. Every week, I've an athlete or a sports personality in the hot seat to talk about their life in sports. This week, I have race car driver Yui Tan on the show. Hi, Yui. How are you?
3: Hey, man. Hey, Sassy. How are you, man? Thanks for having me
0: a real pleasure to have you on the show a couple of weeks ago i had your wife claire on the show now i've got you so we are complete in terms of the family now <laughs>
3: nice 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 You're just going to get the kids on talk about their lives
0: exactly you know what <laughs> i follow claire on instagram and just watching her instagram stories on your kids they're absolutely adorable i must say
3: thank you so much man they are pretty epic they are always up to no good and lots of good things at the same time
0: yeah no they're a blessing hey yui just before we get started with this interview maybe you can give our listeners a very quick background on who you are and what you do.
3: Hi, uh, my name's Yui Tan. I'm a Singaporean uh, racing car driver. And uh, I've raced uh, Porsche a lot in uh, in Europe, Australia, and in Asia over the last uh, 13, 14 years. So, but things have changed a little bit for all of us.
0: Mm. Indeed. You know, one of the things I like to do on this show is actually take my guests back in time, walk down memory lane a little bit. I want to take you back to your childhood. What was your childhood like and where did you grow up and how was your childhood for you? What What are the, the memories of your childhood?
3: Uh, I grew up in, in Adelaide in Australia, right next to the uh, the original Penfolds Winery, mm-hmm. which has grown into this big international brand now, which- which is great. I love their wine, by the way. Yeah, it's great. It's such a big hit around the world. So good job, Adelaide. And um, yeah, it was great there. We had the uh, we had the Formula One Grand Prix in Adelaide at the time, the Australian Grand Prix, and it was the season finale of the whole international championship. So every year, people in Adelaide got to watch the Formula One cha- World Champion Crown. So in a way, you could say that we are a motorsport city. <laughs> Mm. for for quite a while and i think that was in the golden age of formula one in australia and it just happens i was a kid back then and i kind of got my interest in the sport so uh that was uh, that's how it all started but uh i also do want to mention like i also really liked playing tennis when i was a kid as well and uh almost as much as i do cars mm. so that that was also a big part of my life when I was young and I remember a lot of that.
0: (laughs) Mm. I want to talk about you growing up in Australia. What took you to Australia? Were you born there? Family there? What's the backstory there?
3: Uh, No, I actually was born in Singapore. And then I moved there when I was three and a half years old. My parents moved there. And my parents still live there today. Um, But I moved back to Singapore in 2000 to serve national service because I was born here. And Mm. liked it a lot more than I thought I would. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I was gonna ask what's that not to like right exactly
3: man I mean it was uh it's very different from growing up in Adelaide that's for sure
0: (laughs) what about school did you I suppose you you grew up there oh you said you got back here at three right moved to Singapore when you were three yeah where did you go to school and when you are a I suppose young kid in school or even a teenager that's not where you really get into racing right what what sort of other sports did you do besides tennis
3: when I was young, I basically tried to do everything outdoor that I could because I really enjoyed it um, from the equivalent of basically the fourth grade in junior primary until uh, JC2, as you guys call it here. Mm. I took this subject called outdoor education that had sailing and kayaking and mountain climbing, mountain biking, all that sort of stuff. So I did that up until my final year and it counts to your final grade. You know, Can you believe that? wow so so i was always that i always enjoyed going outdoors and playing everything you know just trying every single sport uh, wow. some some became favorites some didn't um but the uh the peace the physical education system over there allows you to try all the sports all the time which is kind of interesting
0: it's amazing isn't it because when you you just t- said that earlier that Actually counts towards your final year and stuff like that. And whereas we got kids here just struggling and uh, you know studying all the time and becoming robots, it's such a big difference, isn't it?
3: <laughs> well, my kids aren't old enough, so I guess I have I don't have a strong opinion on that just yet. Um, however, I do see differences for sure as a parent. I I finally you know Ollie's like three, mm. uh, almost three and a half. So you actually start thinking about stuff like this, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a different way for sure. Like uh, for me. A lot of everything that I've done in my life up until today is based on sport and the, the mentality of playing sport, all the way down to like school tennis on a Saturday morning. In a way, the mentality is the same as the Singapore Grand Prix. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Yep. So Absolutely. it's something that you can have from when you're young. And when you're young, it, it just it's just like a thing that you know on Saturday morning tennis. It's not like a big deal.
0: You know? Did you have a sporting hero growing up?
3: I, I had a few, actually. I was a huge basketball fan when I was young. Um, the golden age of the of the bulls and michael jordan and and uh, that era scottie Pippen. and uh, it was not it was nice that netflix show that came out i think last year last dance because yeah that's right i was such a big fan of jordan in the 90s that i could actually remember the games that were in the show that i hadn't thought about for 20 years you know and i, I, I was like i'll go to cloud like oh this is the one that they won this is the one that they lost <laughs> kind of interesting so I, I love I like Michael Jordan a lot. He's super cool. Um, and then from the tennis world, I like uh, like Pete Sampras, Michael Chang. I thought those two guys were pretty good. Very different players. Michael Chang was a was a battler. Pete Sampras was a was an executor. And uh, then in Formula One, I had uh, Edson Senna and Michael Schumacher. So I, I like those guys. Both very different dudes as well. One's a very spiritual, committed competitor. One's a very committed scientific, uh get to know every single person in your company that you work with to make this a better product and a better result kind of guy, you know? So Mm. very different again. So I think those would be my sporting heroes, man.
0: You know, when you look back in your childhood, if you have to summarize, what kind of childhood did you have then?
3: I'd say quite a quite a sporty one. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoyed all the camping and sleeping under the stars and all that kind of thing. It was a great way to grow up and and growing up in In a in a smaller place, it's quite normal. Like everybody has the option if they want it. Like some Mm. people don't like it, but every it's kind of forced upon everyone at the start of life.
0: (laughs) Are you kind of uh, implementing that in your kids' uh, growing up years as well? Are you trying to say that hey, this is the best way to grow up, or you know, I had fun growing up like that, and you guys should follow the same? Is that something that you, I suppose, do that on purpose?
3: Um, Well, we definitely let them fall over and stuff. We, we' let them run around the park within reason, um our second one we gotta be careful because she's just willing to to like put it all on the line like she just she'll just jump in the pool knowing that she can't swim she still can't swim properly, but she'll jump you know so <laughs> so that's uh, you gotta watch it, but we try not to control it too much within reason because um you know like just little things like uh like I used to jump off like the third story of. This little kids' playground that we had—that was a ship in school, you know. Like just just having that kind of coordination as a six-year-old. When you look back, you're like, damn, that's dangerous. But <laughs> what's the, what's the worst that can happen, you know? So it's worth learning how to jump around and climb trees and stuff like that within reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Sounds sure. Fine. Sounds you watch fun. the stories, man. You know, man, we let them do what we want. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Tell you what, let's go for a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about you getting into racing. Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by Yui Tan, Singapore race car driver. Yui, at the age of 26, you started with your first Porsche car racing championship, I suppose. How would you talk about that opportunity and how did that come about?
3: Well, the, the op- I think the whole thing uh, kick started probably around 2004, actually. In 2004, I would have been, I don't know, 21 or something like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, kids spend money on different things when they're kids. But one thing I always wanted to do was try and save up some money to go and do driving courses, you know? So... I had the opportunity of going to do the Porsche driving experience in Australia and uh did four levels over 2 years and gave me a foundation just to drive better you know so it was the first time they used computer data uh to measure how I'm steering how I'm braking how I'm accelerating so it was the first time that I I got into driving from a scientific point of view which was very interesting very interesting you know like uh so that that was that was good and then after that um I remember 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. I was there in the stands and I was watching the Porsche race. Mm. I knew some of the guys in it and, and it it was just, it was just so epic to have a formula one Grand Prix in Singapore as a racing fan and someone that wanted to race all their life. Like I have got, I've got to be one of the happiest guys ever in this country (laughs) because, (laughs) because I was living and breathing that sport for, since I was a kid already, you know? So it was like a dream come true. Um, so in two thousand and eight, there was an economic crisis. I remember, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the Monday before the uh, the Grand Prix weekend, there was your uh, your Lehman Brothers, and then on Tuesdays was like your Prudentials or what? I Can't remember what what company it was. Maybe AIA. No, it was AIA. Sorry, Prudentials. AIA on the Tuesday, and and people started selling cars and teams and stuff like that. And uh, I remember, And the first lot of money I got together to to put some some cash into the car. I just went around asking like family, friends and stuff like that, you know, because things were, were very cheap at that moment. Mm. So uh, that's how, I guess that's the short story of how I learned how to drive versus getting into this sport because actually uh, driving the race car on the track for the first time was a rude awakening about how much harder and different it was to drive in a road car fast on a track. You know, it was a, it was a completely different experience, almost a different sport in a way.
0: I was going to ask you, the barriers to entry for someone to get into racing is so high, right? Like you said, it costs a lot of money. you got to almost kind of have a bit of an influence and be affluent enough to chalk out that kind of money. Do you think that you probably were in a, in a good position to pursue your dreams in the sense as compared to many others who probably dream about being a race car driver, but just don't have the access?
3: Absolutely. I think I was lucky in the sense that although... People weren't willing to fund me too much for it. I wasn't worrying about my life at the time because my my family were were supporting me well and that sort of thing. So it gave me the mental capacity to take that opportunity to see what could be done with it, you know? Mm. Um, However, if somebody could turn back the clock and teach me the science of how to do it before I got into it, there'd be no need to raise money to do it on the job, you know? yeah you you could have someone telling you what it is and actually the the actual skill set behind it the driving aside is something that a lot of people know in Singapore already you know like social media influencers or uh people that that uh persuade people to market or buy things you know in that sort of way you are representing uh the the brands on your car mm-hmm And Porsche Carrera Cup is the biggest marketing trampoline uh, in, in Asia, internationally, as a motor racing culture. So it made sense to join the place that was that had the most viewers in the first place because in theory the sponsors would be easier to sell. I wish I wish someone told me that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I suppose you learn on the job, right? But it was different back then because social media wasn't a big thing back then. I mean, when you think about social media or the internet, it's still only about less than 30 years old. So but was that era social media really popular back then?
3: It wasn't. I didn't even have an Instagram when I started racing. Um but but you know in in 2008 or 2009 that's that's the most futuristic year of the world so everybody thought <laughs> yeah everybody thought that it was good already and i think two major differences were that we always had to be in the newspaper all the time in the past mm. um that was a big thing um and then as time grew on there were many other ways uh to tell the message you know um Yeah, I guess live events were a much bigger thing back then, for sure, Um, and uh, and conventional media distribution for sure compared to today. So the world has changed a lot. Um, The other major difference I remember is that people used to watch videos much longer. So like we could make like seven to ten minute documentaries of what happened on the weekend, and people would watch it. You know, Mm. Um, like even ten years ago, people would watch it, but by now it's Now it depends on the platform, but like even video, sometimes people just don't watch it. They just scroll through, you know, it's different. It's different. It's changed a lot.
0: Yeah. We don't have the same patience that we used to have. I want to talk to you about the lessons you learn. Maybe someone listening to this show might be able to pick up a gold nugget or two from you. You said you do things differently. What would you do differently?
3: Um, I think I would stick to like a very uh, simple plan where uh, I would want to calculate exactly what my costs are. Um, and, and what I would need in order to get the costs paid for, and what kind of distribution media distribution package you would need to offer a company to be worth an X amount of money. Because I think when I started out, I couldn't value the price of anything, like how much the rear bumper costs to put it on this program or to mm-hmm. like there's just there's no sense of it, you know, and there's no one that writes a table for you in the motor racing world 15 years ago in Asia to help you with that. You know, like uh, like the Singaporean, uh, a guy above my generation, Ringo Chong, he did a great job of raising cash over the years. And he was Mm. just about the only one that was managing to raise cash, you know? So he was definitely someone that I looked at uh, when I started, like, how how does he do that? And uh, yeah, there's just no one really telling you about the system of it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the early 2000s, I was involved in A1GP. And also learn the hard way on how motor racing works, and you're absolutely right. You can't seem to price anything. But <laughs> besides that, is there any other valuable lessons you learned from your early days as a race car driver? Maybe from a technical perspective?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, from a technical perspective, like it just made me uh, generally a much more uh, a precise and performance type of person in my everyday life. You know, like by the time you you start going after the tenths of a second because, you know, you could be watching Carrera Cup, and one guy is one and a half seconds a lap slower than the other guy uh, at the Singapore Grand Prix, which has twenty-three corners. You know, mm. so that's like that's like what that's like a uh, eight hundredths or, or or what less than a tenth of a second per corner difference between a guy that looks much better than the other guy.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: So it you can you blink an eye in eight tenths, which is which is what 10 times more than that fraction. <laughs> and then and then you fight over that sport. So it, it really from a performance technical point of view, like everything becomes in much smaller segments if you like, you know and there's a lot of performance that can be gained by small things.
0: Absolutely. Let's go for another break. When we come back, we continue this conversation <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm joined on the show by Yui Tan, Singapore race car driver. Yui, let's talk about 2015 because you joined Team Jepsen, one of the most formidable teams in Asia. And that year you actually won the championship title in the Pro-M category. So you just went from participating to becoming a winner now. How did that happen?
3: Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was also a sum of many years of a story. Actually, I met a, uh, a very, very good engineer by the name of Manal that also came from Adelaide, but we didn't know each other in Adelaide. And uh, he uh, he had worked in Formula One and worked in factory teams at BMW at the DTM level and at the endurance racing level in Europe. So he brought a, a new system of learning to my mind, you know? Uh, things became a lot more regimental, uh, systematic, organized. And he was teaching me how to... Uh, Uh, abstract uh, abstract as much uh, performance out of myself as humanly possible so we first worked together in 2013 and uh, already in 13 at the end of the year i started getting a few more podiums than usual and then in 14 uh we took quite a few but didn't quite we weren't quite in the championship hunt but in 2015 it was a kind of like all came together uh I was super lucky dude to win, you know, I won by one point. It was like 204 to 203 or something, mm. um, by, by this tie driver that is so much faster than me, man, you know, <laughs> uh, but over the year, you know, like you get a good start and all of a sudden you're in the lead and you can, you can block for 10 laps, you know, like things happen in motor racing. Yeah. Um, so it was a, it was a crazy year because at the Singapore Grand Prix three races before the end of the season, my engine blew up in Singapore. And my, my car caught fire and it was just the most dramatic thing, you know. So it was uh it was a year of ups and downs emotionally for sure, but it was a great year. I still talked to the Jebson guys up until like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're still good friends and like we had we had some great seasons together, man. It was a great time at Jebson, uh, my first year.
0: After two seasons with them, you went on to compete in the Porsche Mobile One Super Cup in Europe. And moving from Asia to Europe, it's a completely different thing. And how did you cope with it? And first of all, how did that opportunity come about?
3: Yeah, so basically, uh, after th- uh, three years with Jensen, I, um, uh they trimmed the car, the team down to one car. Uh, so th- that was fine. I think it was like at the time, due to certain circumstances, that happened. So that was cool. Uh, so got the opportunity to go to Europe um with some other guys that wanted to, that had some business over there and um all of a sudden i was in the mobile 1 super cup which was a ridiculous dream come true like every round is formula 1 europe formula 1 the the most insane tracks you've ever seen in your life it's <laughs> it's different from asia the track configuration i would say is far more dangerous I think uh, they were built in a time where cars were much slower you know some of those tracks are like 70 80 years old and stuff um so so it was very different the um, the competitors were much less friendly than in Asia uh, mm. people were really competing at, a, at at a high level and um, it was a very different atmosphere something I wasn't used to so Uh, was only friends with like uh, a couple of people in the championship, like mainly my teammates, but it was a very different atmosphere to to racing in Asia, man. So, so yeah, the performance level was different and, uh, the emotional level was very, very different too. But uh what a great year it was.
0: Finally, you had to be a big boy and race with the big boys, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, like, it's pretty crazy. I remember, I so basically because I didn't know the tracks, I had to go to all the venues and have secret practice, you know, before the season or before the race, because I was racing some of the top guys in the world. And they had been there for like, since they were kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd never seen them before, you know, tracks like, uh, okay, I couldn't race Monaco, but I I happened to race at the Monte Carlo Grand Prix, which was insane. Or tracks like Silverstone or Barcelona, um, uh, the Red Bull Ring, uh, Spa Francorchamps. These are all like classic tracks that are very difficult. Uh, all the racing simulator guys will know that. And uh, and yeah, so we I had to try and get a jump. And over there in Asia, I think it's like you have to qualify within hundred and thirteen percent of your category. You know. In Europe you have to qualify within 107% of the top guy. They don't care what category you're in. If you don't make the cut, you're out. <laughs> wow. So, so it was a it was different thing emotionally, but I felt up to it and we 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 always did pretty good. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great time, man. Yeah.
0: You know, talking about the tracks you race and you were talking about that earlier. Which is your favorite? I mean, you talk about Monte Carlo, you talk about Monza, Spa, Silverstone. Which one was your favorite?
3: I'm going to say that my favorite tracks in the world in no particular order because it's really difficult would be Singapore Grand Prix because it's on home ground and it's just unbelievable to do that kind of speed on streets that we drive on, which is cool. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously being on the home ground, like people actually know that you're racing there and it's good to have support and all the rest of it. And then after that, there's Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium. That was one of the craziest circuits I'd ever been to because it was so damn fast and the elevation and the heels and on Rouge and stuff was just like, I mean, you play it on a game, but you go there in real life and go flat chat down to the bottom of on Rouge. I mean, it feels like, feels like your knees are in your mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, And doing that while you're driving a racing car, getting that kind of lateral G-force feeling is like, whoa, that does not happen back home. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, Silverstone and Suzuka would be the other two. Sorry, I've got a lot, dude. No, yes, it's, it's, yeah. it's,
0: I, I can imagine because each, <laughs> yeah. one, each one probably gives you a... Different sort of challenge and satisfaction, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Suzuka is amazing. It's kind of like the spa of Asia, very hilly, very fast. Silverstone is also super fast, um, but very flat. It's on an airfield. But I mean, some of the speeds you go around in those circuits because some of the corners are fast. Like, I mean, it's every lap you go through to be fast, you have to take a chance. And it's, it's kind of fun in in that way. You know, you've done 28
0: Formula One support races. What is the kind of feeling you get? I mean, you're not really part of the Formula One, but you're doing the support race. You in and around attract people, fans, you know, all the paparazzi. What's the feeling like to be there?
3: Feeling's fantastic. It's uh, It depends which country we're in, Sasi, because, you know, like sometimes some Formula, some Carrera Cups are are very much part of the formula one you know where i grew up in adelaide there's like us like six races on the weekend and we go and sit there and watch all of them um so like for example like i think at silverstone there would be over a hundred thousand people that watch the porsche race wow <laughs> yeah i know they're into it man yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. um but the atmosphere atmosphere is uh, amazing i remember in when i was in silverstone we had this these quad bikes because the compound was so big. So we're all just running around on these quad bikes to go and get hot dogs and go and meet your mates and bring bring your mates in for gate passes. I always have to go to the front to meet them yourself. And great atmosphere, Singapore Grand Prix, absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, on the warm up like you recognize people in the crowd. You know, wow, <laughs> like, that's like yeah, you're like, oh my god, that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's standing at the fence, crazy. You know? Um, so uh, yeah atmosphere is great Uh, the events are great yeah I'm I'm actually hoping I mean I know about the news that happened today everyone in Singapore but uh, you know I'm hoping that uh, the Singapore Grand Prix is on you know because I I plan to be in it if it's on
0: (laughs) you and everyone else listening to this uh, show I suppose all right let's go for another break come back we talk about what you've been up to lately Welcome back. You're listening to Sports Talk Sunday. I'm Sasi Kumar and joining me on the show is Yui Tan, Singapore, for, not Formula One driver, but he drives in the Formula One races, but he is a race car driver. Uh, Yui, let's talk about the personal side of things, I suppose. Claire Jedrak, your, your wife was on the show. You know, We kind of talked about her own racing career. I want to talk about what sort of influence did you have on her career? Because I'm pretty sure that Um, you know, when when you guys were together, you kind of, and she did say, alluded to this on my show, that you kind of nudged her into that.
3: Yeah, I think like the, uh, you know, Claire's always been, um, like myself, we've always been competitive people. We like to play sport well. If we take up a sport, we'll get lots of coaching lessons to make sure we try and beat people, you know, that sort of thing. And um, just like the experience I talked about earlier in the show, I wanted to introduce that kind of mental uh, sharpening to her, you know, just to see if she likes it because you could tell by the way that Claire played sport and stuff that she was well capable of wanting that kind of thing in life. So we sent her to a couple of racing schools and she really enjoyed it. And she was getting taught by like my friends that were also in the Carrera Cup or like uh, we that guy from Formula One uh, that used to engineer me. We got him to engineer her too. So he, she had a guy that used to work in Formula One engineer her at the start to make her like the science of it in a very organized and systematic way. So she really enjoyed it Mm. (laughs) after that.
0: My question is, how much of motorsports talk is there around the dinner table?
3: Quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we, we, We love cars. We love motor racing. We still watch a lot of motor racing on TV. We still watch our friends that have gone back into motor racing through the coronavirus period. Carrera cup had its first race last weekend in China. It's become a China only championship for now. Mm. Um, there has to be systems at which, uh, they can travel to Singapore and get back to China. I think if, if international sport were to happen, kind of like the world economic forum, but I guess we're still a few months away from making that sort of decision. And
0: currently you work with a robotics company that is looking to make impact in the healthcare, mobility and security industry. Can you tell us about you know, the robotics company that you're working with and working on now?
3: Yeah, so luckily, Sasi, I'm glad to announce that my life is still really interesting because I've joined this company. Mm. It's, it's called Opsor. Um, They have a subsidiary called Northstar that deploy a lot of their technology in the facility management industry. But basically what we do uh, is that we are robotics and artificial intelligence company, and um, it's a it's a Singaporean uh, company. It's been around six years, and its claim to fame is that it's completely worked out how to do autonomous navigation. So it was the first company in Singapore to get like a, a P1 license for uh, autonomous navigation for their delivery robot. So that's a really big thing. But um, what makes this company so interesting is on top of the autonomous navigation technology that it has, which which gives it a massive bump ahead of everybody already, it can now put different payloads on top. So we've got the last mile delivery robot. We've got a UVC LED disinfection robot that was actually uh, uh, designed in Singapore and tested in a a laboratory against coronavirus. So it is a lab tested coronavirus killing robot. Mm. We're putting them in shopping malls, hospitals. We're putting the bulbs inside uh, facilities in Singapore right now. As you can imagine, people are definitely calling up a bit more uh, recently about it. And I hope it becomes a national standard because it's going to help. Mm. So that's pretty cool.
0: Is that keeping you busy? Is that like a full time gig for you now?
3: Yeah, it's pretty much. So, uh, uh, Claire and I, and Alan Wu, and this other guy called Mitch Chapman, we all work uh, in the marketing forum. And uh, we've learned a lot about how how these this kind of robots can can help because they they actually have a security and a concierge robot as well so they've got kind of like a nice suite of solutions and it's become uh basically a full-time thing it didn't wasn't planned that way at first but um we really like the CEO his name's Ling he's a super good dude speaks like Yoda speaks backwards <laughs> uh very wise dude um, learn mountain biking when I joined the company. So we go mountain biking and have meetings on the mountain bikes every week, which is a great way to do it because I of all my outdoor stuff, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's just been very exciting, man. So I think that's why it's kind of become a full-time thing.
0: Let's bring the focus back to motorsports. And when you look at the Singapore motorsports scene at the moment, what do you think needs to improve or perhaps be done so that we see more UE tons coming into the scene?
3: You know, if you ask lots of people in Singapore this question, man, there'll be a long list of answers. But <laughs> I think my first answer is I, I think my first answer is that list of long answers goes up and down all the time because uh, we have good moments and bad moments. And the reason that is so is because we don't have a racing track. Mm. So I think as long as we don't have a racing track, unfortunately, the uh, the efforts of whoever dreams of building the system here, it's very, very tough. I had that dream as well. I used to run the state championships for several years for go-karting. Um, there was no uh, media marketing or the, the whole Carrera Cup idea of the media trampoline was not was non-existent in motor racing, you know, mm. uh, in Singapore. So without infrastructure, it's just so hard to try and tag um, long-term relation, financial relationships with sponsors and partners and stuff like that because you just don't know where you're going to be next year. There's, you, you can't sell something that's not there, you know, Sasi.
0: Yeah, agree, hundred percent.
3: Yeah, so yeah, build us a racetrack, please, everybody. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know where we're gonna find the land, but yeah, I'm sure if there's a will, there's a way, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The growth of esports, I want to talk about that because there seems to be quite a few esports motorsports championships, that are sprouting out everywhere. Do you think that will really be the way forward for your sport?
3: I don't think it will ever replace the same thing, uh, the the real thing. Sorry, but I think it gives people like a much bigger. Like uh, there's a much bigger uh, exposure to, to the world for people that learn how to drive because it is similar in a weird way, even though it isn't, mm. you know, like uh, the thinking behind it is, uh, is similar with the data and the technique and stuff, though in the real car, you need to be physically extremely fit. You know, put up with uh, heat at the Singapore Grand Prix of almost sixty degrees Celsius in the car while driving the car. You know, <laughs> like that kind that kind of stuff. So it it's it is a different sport in a way. But I'm really glad that it's taken off and it's here to stay because more people can learn about motor racing and more people can dream about driving a car even just one time in their life.
0: Earlier, you talked about smashing your car, car catching catching fire and stuff. You got two kids now. Would you encourage them to walk your path like? the same thing that you and Claire have
3: done? I mean, always uh, there is an element of danger in these kind of things. However, if you really want to enjoy cars and go go speeding, do it on a racetrack, in a real race with uh, a proper setup, set of infrastructure, paddings on the barriers, insurance companies, roll cages, (laughs) six-point harnesses, Hans devices, helmets that have uh, quality ratings on them. And... And chances are things are not going to be too bad, you know. Obviously, things do happen, but I've been in a lot of accidents, and I've and it's so far so good, you know. These cars, it's amazing how safe they really are. It really is. You can smash the front end off a Porsche 911 Cup in 2019. I got the rear end smashed off at the Grand Prix, like you know, just sore for a few days. It's amazing. <laughs>
0: What's the future looking like for you, especially given what's happening with the world right now? Are you looking back to getting back to racing? You did say that you hope that the Singapore Grand Prix happens so that you can jump in the car again. What are you really doing in terms of trying to get back into racing?
3: Doing absolutely everything I can to get back into racing, mate. I'm still actively speaking to all the sponsors and the people from the past, people from the present. Um, uh, Even like uh, trying to sort out... uh, 20% 20% chance that Singapore Grand Prix will happen and make sure all the sponsors are ready to go and lined up so that I can get into the kind. of course, make sure that there's resources and the car is available and there's so many things to think about, you know? So, um, basically, uh, Otzor and, uh, Northstar have, uh, are definitely interested to put their names on the car as well. Mm. And uh, we, we just want to deploy the UVC technology through, uh, the singapore grand prix if possible if we could disinfect that place all the time and the cars and everything i think it would really help have an event because right now we're not using this kind of this level of oversight if you like (laughs) yet you know but uh but life's got to go on so so uh, I think I think this perhaps will be the way, man. But yeah, dude, I I would love to do it again <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, hopefully we keep our fingers crossed that the world gets back to some sort of normalcy soon. Before I let you go, this is a question I ask everyone on my show: What would you like to be remembered for?
3: I hope I hope that that answer is not written yet, uh, Sasi. <laughs> um, I, I would like to. I think this what we're doing right now we are we're so excited about because. Going racing has been a huge amount of fun, you know. Traveling with the boys, making the best friends that I have in the world. In some, some instances, it's been it's been phenomenal, you know. But this next stage in life could be uh, making an, making an impact. I know that sounds very uh, <laughs> that sounds very airy fairy in a way, but if we if we could do something to change things uh, in Singapore, whether it be to help with the virus or whether it be to uh, change the way that things are delivered to the door because of the increase in uh, in consumer online sales. I mean, that, those are really exciting things that I've never really thought about in my life, you know?
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely. So,
3: yeah, so to make a difference in a in a larger scale is an exciting thing. So I hope I do something better than what I've done so far, man.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's a great, great answer. Thanks, Yui. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And like you said earlier, we really hope that the world can come back to being normal again and we can see you in a race car soon.
3: Thank you so much for your time, man. Thanks for having me. And that that was awesome. Lots of fun, man.